open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're in the second week of a series entitled Jonah and the Great City. Uh, so open up to the book of Jonah. It's in the little minor prophets, little prophet books at the end of the Old Testament. And uh, hard to find, but it's a little bitty book in there. Find it. But also put your finger there and turn back to 2 Kings chapter 14. I want to show you one thing there about the prophet Jonah. Today was our first day with a 9.30 sanctuary service. That was awesome. A little bit of a traffic jam in the hallway with you guys coming in and, and they're going out. That's probably a new thing, so uh, uh, just be nice <laughs> to one another as you, uh, as you work your way in and out. But uh, it's fantastic. Um, you know, we are in a community now that's growing uh, very, very quickly. Um, Stewart Farms, a new beautiful uh, apartments there in the field between here and South Warren. Uh, it, it just, it was built so quickly, it looks like it fell out of the sky and already full of families. Anybody live in Stewart Farms in the, in the house? Any, any of you live in Stewart Farms? Uh, we have some folks who do, uh, but the point is, uh, one of the reasons why we want to make some empty seats is for Stewart Farms and, and all the other folks who are moving into our community and need uh, to know the Lord. Uh, they continue to be the reason we do what we do, so uh, let's, uh, let's do our best to reach out. 2 Kings chapter 14 is where I want us to start. We're talking about the prophet Jonah. The problem is most of us heard about Jonah in Sunday school. We just know the Jonah and the whale story. And that's all we know. And we don't know much else about Jonah or how he ended up in the belly of the whale or how in the world he got out of the belly of the whale and, and all of that. And the thing is, everybody's complicated. Everybody's complicated. And there's always at least two stories you can tell about everybody. Now, you could tell one story or a kind of story about me, which would be all of the worst days of my life and all of the dumb things I've done and all of the lazy things I've done. And, and if those are the only stories you were ever told, you would make certain conclusions about the kind of person that I am, and they would be uh, correct but not the whole story. Jonah's the same way. Most of us only know the part of the story that comes in Jonah's chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And Jonah doesn't look good. I mean, Jonah doesn't look good at all in the book of Jonah. But let me just take you back to 2 Kings chapter 14 and remind you that he wasn't always in the belly of a fish, y'all. Uh, he had some better days. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we're talking about the reign of King Jeroboam II. He was a wicked king, an evil king, but he had a prophet in his court, and the prophet's name was Jonah. Verse 25, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between uh, Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hepher. So there you go. Jonah... Before there was the whale story, Jonah was a faithful prophet. He was a faithful prophet in the court of King Jeroboam. During that time, Jonah prophesied, and he had respect, and he wore nice clothes. You understand? It was a very different day for him. He prophesied amazing things that the Lord revealed to him about the way that Israel would be victorious in battle, the way Israel would retake territory. And all of these things came to pass. And Jonah was a man with respect and, and, and a life and, and an amazing life. And uh, then, you know, as you know, the book of Jonah happens. And, and you can turn it over to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah happens. It's, it's interesting because all of that was good. Jonah was doing fine. He was faithful. He was amazing. And then Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, God taps him on the shoulder and says, I'm moving you. Go to Nineveh. And at that point, everything falls apart. 
So some of you are tempted to think, well, why didn't God just leave him alone? I mean, Jonah was doing okay. He was faithful. He was serving the Lord. I mean, leave him alone. But, but, but this is what you're, you're not understanding. Jonah's problems don't begin when he starts following God into new territory. Jonah's problems begin because he doesn't follow God into new territory. Understand? And it's the same problem that you're likely to step into. Your problem never comes because you're following God's plan, but because you run away from God's plan. And this is Jonah. His problems begin not when he is serving God, but when he starts to run from God. The point is, God, I guess, could have left him there in Jeroboam's court, but that was not God's plan for him. God had greater and better things for Jonah. You understand? Better things. God's intention is never to ruin your life or wreck your life or make you somehow less blessed, less full of joy. God's plan is always to multiply blessings, multiply joy. God wants to use Jonah in a big way. God intends to use Jonah to be the first international missionary. God intends for Jonah to be the evangelist at one of the greatest revivals the world has ever known. All of this is what God's going to do through Jonah. But God can't do through Jonah what he's never been able to do in Jonah. And the fact is, God wants for Jonah to be this messenger of mercy. But before he can do that, Jonah's going to have to learn a thing or two about mercy. Understand how that works? God can never do through you what he's yet to do in you. And the most important work that God is doing in your, in your regard is always to work in you. And then once it's in you, then he can begin to work through you. There's some things that God's going to do through Jonah, but not before he does some things in Jonah. And that is why he's been in the belly of the fish since last Sunday when we left off. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Let's start there. And then notice what happens when Jonah gets in the fish. It's like he's a new man. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. We'll go into chapter 2. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down. Remember last week I said when you're running from God, the only direction you can ever go is down. And I talked about the downward spiral, and we got at the end of chapter 1, and you would think that Jonah's probably gone as low as a man can go. But just watch chapter 2. This dude has this, he has a gift of going lower. And here we go. You threw me into the ocean depths, verse 3, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. That's got to be my favorite Bible verse. Isn't that just great? Seaweed. That's so ugly. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down, still going down. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. 
Then the Lord ordered the fish to vomit Jonah out onto the beach. Well, that great? Then the Lord ordered the fish to vomit. That's so good. A mother brought her teenage daughter into the pastor's office. Not, not me. I, I wasn't the pastor. Um, but she brought her teenage daughter to the pastor. The teenage daughter was uncontrollable. Y'all have never known a teenage girl like this, I know. Um, but, but, but she was just, you know, oh my goodness, she was just a hot mess. Um, the mother could do nothing with her. And, and she was really, really, a, just really a, a, a desperate kind of girl. Um, girl was mad as fire that mama brought her to the pastor, though. I mean, just mad as fire. You ever seen a mad girl? And so she sits on the pastor's couch with her arms crossed, mostly with her eyes shut because she can't believe that this is her life. But if she opened her eyes at all, it was only to roll them, you know, because girls can do that, you know, just roll their eyes. So she's just sitting there rolling her eyes, and, and the mother's talking and crying. And the more the mother cried, the more the girl just rolled her eyes at her mother. Her mother's just begging the daughter to just to talk to her, just to, you know, let, let me understand how to help you. And the daughter's just, you know, wants none of it. So then the mother gets the pastor involved. And so now the pastor's begging the girl to talk and begging the girl to just let him know how he can help her. They're just begging this girl to open up. And she's just rolling her eyes and sitting there until finally the girl's had enough. The teenage girl just stood up. She looked her mom in the face and said, Mama, I'm done with you. Done with you. I'm just never going to be the good little girl that you wish I was. I'm never going to be the daughter that you wish I was. I'm just never going to be that. I'm done with you. And then she looked at the pastor. She wagged her finger in his face and said, And pastor, I'm done with you too. I'm never going to be the innocent little church girl that you love. I'm never going to do that. I am done with you. And then she turned around. She opened the door. She walked through it. And she slammed the door. Well, then the mother just falls into pieces. It's like, oh, pastor. Oh, pastor, she's so far gone. She's just so far gone. And the pastor said, actually, she's not that far gone. That door that she just walked through and slammed, that's my closet. <laughs> she's, she's not that far. And, and Jonah's not that far gone either. Now, he, his intention was to go further. He never in his life expected to stop here. He, he never in his life thought that he wouldn't make it to Tarsus. Remember, God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah refused. He rebels. He's heading toward Tarsus. His idea was to get as far away from here as he could. But he's not that far gone. Where is he? Belly of a fish. Belly of a fish. It's not exactly where he wanted to be. And it's not, honestly, where God intended for him to be. But for now, this is a good place for him. Can we all just agree, this is a good place for him. So you would ask, what's Jonah doing in the belly of a fish? What's he doing in the belly of a fish? And what's the answer? Praying. He's praying, which is a beautiful thing. I thought he would never, ever get to this point. The striking thing about his prayer, though, is, is, is the way in the belly of the fish, the prayer that we have recorded here is actually more of, of Jonah's praising God for when God already answered the prayer that he prayed. So it's not that Jonah really begins praying in the belly of the fish. He prayed moments before this. Understand, he prayed before the fish came along. When did he do his praying? When he was sinking down. 
down and down and down. And the, and the kelp starts wrapping around his head. And what is it that whales eat? Kelp, right? And, and so he's, he's wrapped up in plankton. It's like, you know, like, a, like bait on a hook, you know. And the scripture says that God had appointed a fish. Interesting. God had appointed a fish. It's what it says there in verse 17. New Living Translation said the Lord had arranged for a great fish. But the word is appointed. Appointed. And throughout the book of Jonah, it's a short book, but this word is used several times. God makes appointments. And in every single instance, whenever God asks a creature or anybody else to do something, instantly they obey. They do exactly what they're appointed to do. There's only one exception in the book of Jonah. And who is the exception? Jonah. He's the only one who won't do what God has appointed him to do. But in this case, he, he does. Because as it turns out, Jonah has an appointment with a fish. It's an appointment. And it turns out, Jonah is right on time. Exactly on time. And the fish is right on time when Jonah sinks down and down and down. And the seaweed wraps around his head and he goes down and down and down. At exactly the appointed time, whoosh, swallowed. Not good. You just look back though and think, man, all of that is, it's perfectly orchestrated. The, the whale, the, the sinking, I mean, the sailors making Jonah walk the plank. I mean, how in the world could all of this just line up so that right in that moment, boom. I mean, it's, it's just amazing thing. It's almost like God's trying to tell him something. As, as pastor for these years, I'm often asked questions that I can't begin to answer. But, but, but this is a question people ask me with frequency. And anytime you ask me this question, I know the answer. I don't have to think about it. The answer is yes. And, and the question is, Pastor Tim, do you think God is trying to tell me something? Yes. Yes. I don't have to think about it. Yes. Of course he is. Yes. God is always trying to tell you something. Here's the thing. Right now, there may be things happening in your life right now, and these things are God's way of trying to get your attention. God is trying to tell you something. No question. He's always been trying to tell you something. It's not like he just now noticed you. He's always been trying to get your attention. He's always wanted to communicate with you. He's always wanted to speak into your heart. He's always been telling you something. The problem is you don't listen. Well, I'm not, I don't know you personally, but understand most of us don't listen. We're not good at listening. We're not good at paying attention. We forget God. And on all of those days when you forget God, you understand he never forgets you. Jonah is some special kind of stubborn. He simply will not, will not turn around to God. He has to sink further and further and further down before he looks up. But eventually he looks up. Understand, Jonah is stubborn, but God is stubborn too. God is stubborn in his determination to love you, to bless you. God is stubborn in his determination to get you on the path where he can do everything he wants to do in your life. He's stubborn about this. Thank God that he is stubborn. In the book of Jonah, he's stubborn in his determination to, to do something good in the life of Jonah. He's stubborn in his determination to save the people of Nineveh. God is stubborn. And in his stubbornness, he does not give up. Does not give up. Is God trying to tell you something? Yes, always, still, now, today, yes. 
and there are things happening in your life right now. Yes. You think God's trying to get my attention? Yes. Yes. What's it going to take? Yes. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. Which is just interesting because throughout this story so far, chapter one we read last week, it's kind of the thing, Jonah won't pray. In chapter one, he would not pray. You couldn't put your fist down his throat and pull the prayer out. I mean, he is not having it. He won't pray. I mean, from the very beginning, he hasn't spoken to God. When God tapped him on the shoulder and said, go to Nineveh, he didn't say anything in return. He just ran. He is not on speaking terms with God. Doesn't pray. He's a prophet. He's God's man. Way back in the day in King Jeroboam's court, man, he was listening to God, speaking for God. But he's done with that now. He does not pray. It's, it's kind of the irony of the first chapter when he ends up in the, on the boat with all the pagan sailors and the storm comes and the storm turns the boat over and sideways and splits it in two and all the sailors know that it's the end and they, they just start praying. These guys aren't religious guys. They just start praying to any God they can think of. You know, they're, they're, they're praying that they're praying to Buddha. They're praying to, you know, little baby Jesus. You know, they're just praying to, you know, to Beyonce. I mean, they're just praying to whoever, you know, and, and they go to Jonah and say, tell us the name of your God. We'll pray to him too. Why aren't you praying? I mean, pray. They're begging Jonah to pray. He will not pray. He won't pray. He's in the bottom of the boat sleeping. He is not Pray. And then when finally the soldiers, I mean, they, the prayer meeting is over for them, and they're going to make Jonah walk the plank. When Jonah's walking the plank, he's not even praying then. I mean, this is some kind of stubborn. He will not pray. But let him sink a little deeper down in the ocean. Let the seaweed wrap around his neck, and all of a sudden Jonah finds religion. Why is he praying now? The bottom of the deep blue sea, in the pit of a fish's stomach, why all of a sudden is Jonah such a man of prayer? Because he's got nothing else to do. Nothing else to do. Absolutely nothing else to do. Most of us pray only when we got nothing left to do. Will you agree with that? Most of us pray only after there's nothing else to do. Why don't we pray? I mean, if, if the first question is, why does Jonah pray in the fish? And the answer is, well, he had nothing else to do. Then, then if I ask, why is it that you don't pray? Then I guess it's the same kind of answer. You just got too much else to do. You, you think you have other options. And as long as you think you have other options, you don't turn to God. You really think you've got your life under control, don't you? I mean, if you don't pray, then you can't even tell me anything other than yes. I, because prayer is the language of dependence. When a person prays, they know that they need God. You don't pray, you don't think you need God. It's just that plain uh, you can argue with me if you want, but, but you can't win this argument. If you thought you needed God, you'd pray. 
If you thought that you were desperate without him, you'd pray. If you really thought that you had no hope for salvation apart from him, you'd pray. The fact is you sort of think you got your life under control. And as long as you think you're in control, you don't pray. I mean, you don't need God. I mean, seriously, how many of you spent any time in the past week in any kind of serious prayer? I'm not asking did you bless the food. You probably blessed the food. You prayed the very same prayer your kindergartner prays. I'm not saying it doesn't count, but, but at this point in your life, don't you think your prayer life should be a little bit beyond God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. It's a good one. But you've been at this a long time. And if your prayer life is still just that, just that, but praying childish prayers and childish ways, and then for the most part not praying at all, then, then there's something profoundly broken in your spiritual life. Prayer is communicating with God, and no relationship can even exist without communication. If you're not on speaking terms with God, then there's some, something very seriously broken in this relationship. You, you have too much else that you depend upon. You have too many things that you think uh, can, can save you, and therefore you really don't feel like you need God. You, but then a day's going to come, and I'm not wishing it on you, and I'm not saying that God is going to tighten the screws down to see if he can, you know, wrench a prayer out of you. The point is life's going to tighten the screws down. You know, I, I prayed my whole life, and I really thought I was some kind of man of prayer, but then the doctor looked at me and said, it's cancer. And all of a sudden, man, I found out how to pray. I mean, it, it, it's different. I mean, it's really, really different when all of a sudden the seaweed's wrapping around your head. You know what I'm saying? That's different. When it's your teenager who walks in and she says she hates you, all of a sudden you find a new desire to pray. You know, when it's you and your family at the funeral home and you're burying somebody that you have loved, I mean, at that point, you begin to get a little bit more serious about praying. When it's you that loses your job and you don't know if you're going to be able to live in your house, I mean, all of a sudden you discover prayer. I'm just saying, maybe, just maybe, maybe it shouldn't take so much to bring it to that point. I mean, this is Jonah's problem. I mean, how far down must you go before you look up? How far down? I mean, this downward spiral that Jonah is on, I mean, it could stop at any minute. It's really up to Jonah. I mean, he has that ability to turn all of this around. He's just got to turn to God. But for the longest time, he just will not do it. For whatever reason, he's committed. He's committed to this goat rodeo that is his life. You know, kicked out of a boat full of pagans, sinking in the ocean, eaten by a whale, and somehow he still thinks he's got this. Until you just get completely, totally tired of the goat rodeo that is your life, you're not going to change. You're not going to turn this around. And I'm telling you, how far down must you go? It, it turns out Jonah's got a pretty good prayer in him. Honestly, this is Bible-worthy stuff here. This is a pretty good prayer. Where's that been all this time? Turns out Jonah could have been a pretty good man of prayer if he'd have had a whale to swallow him every day of his life. Because apparently that's what it takes. And is that what it takes for you? I mean, you got to lose your job every day of your life so that you recognize that God is your provider. Your teenager has to say that she hates you every day of your life so that you learn that you really, really don't know what you're doing without God's wisdom and help. I mean, what's it going to take? How far down? All right, I've been yelling at you long enough about how you don't pray. I don't know you. I don't know. I know some of you are 
warriors of prayer. I know that. And you pray faithfully. And I also just, um, I know that some of you have prayed and you've stopped because you would say it didn't work. Right? It's like, it's like you, you have prayed. So Pastor Tim, I prayed. I've been in all those situations you talk about. I've, I've had cancer. I've, I've, I've lost someone. I, I have lost a teenager, you know, and on and on you go. And you just say, I prayed and didn't change anything. Um, so can we talk about prayer just a minute? Uh, if, if you say that prayer doesn't work, then, then what you're saying is your praying didn't, didn't meet your expectations. So we need to talk about what you expect to happen when you pray. Can we just go that basic? What happens when a person prays? Some of us think that prayer should be like a vending machine, you know, where like you insert your dollar and then you, you get the Mellow Yellow or Mountain Dew, because what else would you drink? I mean, you, know, you get the Mellow Yellow or the Mountain Dew and, and, and go, you know, insert dollar, you know, take out what you want. And some of you think prayer work, the God works like that, like you insert a prayer, insert prayer, take out what you want. Like prayer is a way to get what you want from God, Right? And probably most everybody you know, that's what they think prayer is for. Prayer is for getting things from God. It's for getting what you want from God. So in any time when you pray and you don't get what you want, then you assume prayer doesn't work. God doesn't answer prayers. I didn't get what I, what I wanted. But, but, but what if that's not what prayer is for? Now, let's go back to Jonah. Jonah is sinking down in the ocean. He has no hope. This is not Baywatch, understand. There's no lifeguard on duty. Nobody's gonna jump in and save him. He's gone. He's done. The only boat in sight just kicked him out. He is a goner. He's drowning. Seaweed is around his head. And at that point, he, he manages to pray because he's got nothing else to do at this point, no other hope. If God doesn't show up, he's done. So he prays. He says, God, save me, help me. I'm in the jaws of death, snatch out my life. I mean, and, and then at that time, at that very moment, he has an appointment with a fish and the fish that God had appointed swallows him up. Now at that moment, what goes through Jonah's mind? Because it's like, I'm no longer drowning, but now I'm in a fish. Like now I'm in a fish. And drowning would have to be a horrible way to die, but I would think, like being eaten by a fish and then slowly digested and then, you know, evacuated, that's going to be really, really awkward. That can't be nice. At this point, I'm thinking, could I just go back? Could I just step back out and drown? Can I just go ahead and drown? I mean, because this isn't exactly what he prayed for, and yet this is salvation. This is truly salvation. This is how God chooses to answer the prayer. And the thing is, God already answered the prayer before he even prayed it because God had already appointed the fish. You see that? God's working way in advance of Jonah. I mean, God in his sovereignty, he's a lot of steps ahead of you. Do you understand? So, so God's already answered the prayer and God's working, but I don't know if Jonah understands that. I don't know if Jonah sees this picture yet. Salvation at this point looks, feels, and smells a whole lot like the inside of a fish. Does that feel like answered prayer? Notice there's a turning point. And the turning point is not, you know, when the whale, you know, gives a big belt and puts him out on the beach. That's not the turning 
point. The turning point happens sometime back in the belly of that whale. For whatever reason, it takes Jonah this long to get to this point. But at verse 9, something happens and Jonah changes. This man who heard God's voice and ran, now he says, but Lord, I will offer sacrifices of praise to you. I will fulfill all of my vows to you. Now, something's happened. In the course of all of this praying, now something has happened. And it happened in Jonah's heart. You understand that? And this is what prayer does. Prayer realigns your heart with God's purpose. Prayer lines your heart up with God's heart because this is what you need. Worse than anything else you think you need, this is what you need. Your heart lined up with God's heart. Yeah, years and years ago, I was a young man in Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, I was probably 19 years old or so, and I just got out of high school. And Woodburn Baptist Church was going to hire its very first youth and music minister. All right? And I'm thinking, well, it's about time. I just graduated high school. By the time y'all did something for the young people, we're the church of tomorrow. You know, by the time y'all looked around and noticed you got kids up in here, you know, that's what I was thinking. And then they brought in, you know, our churches were, you know, like at the pace of continental drift. They had a committee and then they had a, a candidate and they brought this guy and his name was Johnny Carr. And it's just when I met a man named Johnny Carr. And so I just thought, man, he's the one. He's our guy. He's our youth. I mean, obviously he's our youth and music minister. He's awesome. And I could see it. I could feel it. I mean, for the first time in my life, I really wanted this. I mean, I wanted this to happen. And so I, I went to prayer. I mean, I went into praying. I called a fast. I mean, it's private me, but I fasted. For the first time in my life, I fasted. And that was serious. I was 19 years old. I ate all the time. I lived on Mountain Dew and barbecue Fritos, and that was breakfast. True story. I mean, that's what I ate. And, and I ate a lot, and I ate, I ate on purpose, and I did not eat for three solid days. I ate nothing. I prayed, and I drank only water. I was serious in this prayer. And I was praying, God... This is our man, it's Johnny Carr. Bring him to our church, make the church see this, make the church call him. Um, understand though, what I was praying was, God, this is what I want, this is what I want. I'm starving down here, notice I'm starving. You know, give me what I want, I'm serious, I'm starving. You know, but I did that for three days. And, and amazing things happen when you just stay with prayer. Because at the end of three days, I realized something that I didn't, I don't know when it changed, but at the end of three days, I was no longer saying, God, it's Johnny Carr. He's our youth and music minister. No question. You bring him. At the end of three days, I was saying, God, whoever the man is, will you just bring him to us and, and, and prepare his heart to love our church and prepare our church to love him. And you just, you do it in your way, in your time. You, you, Bring us the man. Y'all know I was gonna. Y'all know I became the youth and music minister, right? Like that was not what I was praying for. That was not what I was praying for. I, I did not see that coming at, at all. But but that's just the thing, you know. The, the praying wasn't a way to, to to pry something out of God's hand that I wanted that He just didn't want to give me. I mean, no. The the prayer was a way to just keep putting myself before God so that he could shape my heart. And in the process of, of, of praying, my heart lined up with God's heart. 
in such a way where God could begin to do something in me and then begin to do something through me. Do you see how this works? It's not about getting what you want. We don't want you to get what you want. It's kind of like when, like, if, if you just let your kid decide what she's going to eat for breakfast every single day of her life, what's she going to eat? Pixie sticks, you, you know, or whatever kids eat these days. What do kids eat? I don't know. What do they eat? What do kids eat? What? Pop-Tarts? Hey, I could eat, I, I, scratch that because I could eat that. I, I, I could do Pop-Tarts. Yeah, it's like you don't let a kid decide, you know. You don't let a kid decide because a kid doesn't know. You know, they're just going to eat, you know, like bubble gum, whatever, you know, suckers, blow pops. <laughs> I mean, you just don't let a kid decide because they don't have the capability to know what's good for them. They don't even know what the real options are, you understand. So this is like you in prayer. We're not going to let you call the shots. You're not God. You don't know what the options are. All you're going to do is blow it all on, you know, bubble gum and, and, you know, baseball cards. I mean, we can't let you think that you're sovereign. What you need to do is just bring yourself before a sovereign God and surrender your heart to him. And then learn to say, Lord, it's not what I want, it's what you want. I just want what you want. What you want is better than what I want. Let's just go your way. I mean, this is what happens. And finally it happens. Finally it happens. Now there's this long, long time where Jonah's in the belly of the fish because notice God answers our prayers in stages. And not all of them are comfortable. Jonah just doesn't pray a prayer and then, whoo, pops out on the beach on dry land. You know, no, no. He prays a prayer. God snatches him from the jaws of death but lets him soak in the belly of a fish for three days. You know, and I don't know at what point, at what point that Jonah realizes that this is his salvation. I don't know at what point you're going to realize right now that this situation you're in is actually, it could be salvation. It could be God's way of slamming the doors in your face so that you don't continue to walk off in the wrong direction. I mean, sometimes it takes a while to recognize that this may look and, and feel and smell like the belly of a fish, but this is God's work in your life. Let him do it. Whatever he needs to do, you just let him work in you. It's, it's salvation. He's answering prayers. He's always answering your prayers. You're just not always seeing. You're not always listening. So Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all of my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord. See, that, that's the moment when his heart changes. It's the moment when Jonah said, okay, it's not about me. I, I, I will serve you. I will fulfill my vows to you. And, uh, and, and that, you know, we weren't waiting all this time for the whale, you know, to realize that, ooh, you know, I shouldn't eat that whole Jonah. Ooh, you know, this wasn't, you know, while swimming, I shouldn't have, you know, eaten. Um, no, we're waiting not for the whale's stomach to turn, but for Jonah's heart to turn. And, and the moment, you see that, like the moment. The moment his heart changes, his situation changes. And this is the way it works in our life so often. Your situation is never going to change as long as your heart stays the same. I mean, right now, some of you feel so stuck 
stuck in this relationship that never seems to go anywhere. You're stuck in this job. You're, you're stuck with your problems. You're stuck with your addictions. You just continue to be stuck. I mean, it, it's, it's the inside of a belly of a whale for you, and you have no idea exactly why you're here. You figure maybe God's trying to tell you something, but, but, but you don't have any idea what that is, and you just continue to stay stuck or continue in this downward spiral, and you're asking, how long, how long? And I'm telling you, probably until you finally are ready to let him change your heart. I mean, what we're waiting on to change is not circumstances. It's not the situation. It's you. It's your heart. God can't do around you. God can't do through you. What you won't let God do in you, it's your heart. So in that very moment, in the moment when Jonah says, I, I, I will... I will keep my vows to you. I don't even know what he. I don't even know what he expects. I mean, we know the whale's about to vomit. He doesn't know that. He's been there for three days and three nights, but somehow he seems to still recover this knowledge, this faith in a God who gives second chances. Just says, I will praise you. I, I, I will sacrifice praises to you. And I will fulfill all of my vows. I mean, his heart changes. And in that moment, his situation changes. The whale gives one good belch and spits him out on dry land. This uh, deliverance that you're waiting for, this, this getting unstuck. You know, the, the one thing that's probably standing in your way is you. And if you're asking if God is trying to tell you something, I know he is. The question just simply becomes, um, when will you listen? I mean, how far down do you have to go before you look up? When are you ever going to let him change your heart? Pray with me. God, we thank you for your stubborn love, your stubborn grace, your stubborn mercy, because your love and grace and mercy must rescue some stubborn kinds of people. Lord, we are stubborn. Some of us, Lord, in this house, some of us, Lord, in the sound of my voice, Lord, we have been running from you. We've been pretending like we can't hear your voice, but Lord, we have heard enough loud and clear. We know enough to run anyway. We know enough, Lord, to continue to try to live our own life our way, Lord. We know you're trying to tell us something, Lord. It's just we haven't ever really been quite ready to listen. Lord, what has to happen, Lord, is, is something only you can do, Lord. If we could change our own hearts, we would have changed our own hearts a long time ago, Lord. We're just completely dependent upon you in every single way, Lord. So will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us to surrender our hearts? Will you teach us to want what you want and, and forget all about what we wanted, Lord? Will, will you teach us to pray in such a way where we don't give up when we don't get what we want immediately? Just to trust you, even in the darkest, deepest, dankest places. You teach us how to believe and trust and call out to you and know that whoever calls out to you will never, ever be cast aside, Lord. You are stubborn in your commitment to show us your grace and mercy and love. So, Lord, 
Will you teach us to listen, to run toward you and not away from you, and allow you to do your work in us? We've been waiting for the whole world to change, Lord. Turns out you've just been waiting for us. Help us, Lord, to come to you that you might do what you've been trying to do all these years. Let today be the day. Let things turn around, Lord. Let us look up from the depths today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.